By the time you hear this podcast, you'll realize it wasn't about the song. Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we're back with another episode. You can see me there. You can see Ben right there. So now we're going to bring us both on screen. Hey. <laughs> this screen ain't big enough for the both of us, partner. Well, actually, it is, as you can see. Oh. It, it actually is. I was wrong. I was oh, wrong. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so we are back with episode 140. Right. Yes. Episode 140. Uh, thank you to everyone who's uh, following us on Twitch. Maybe I haven't even looked to see if we had any followers yet, but um, we definitely appreciate that. Everyone who's listened so far. Um, I think we got a lot of good traction off of the last episode about breaking. <laughs> so uh, I definitely appreciate that. What a movie that was. Yeah. Yeah. Quite different um, tones from what we're discussing yeah. this week. Yes. Um, Ends of the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, well, yeah, y'all know where to find us. You can see it on the screen. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into some music news, man. Um, so, the uh, the Grammys are coming up. Whoop, whoop. And... I don't know if they mean the same thing they used to. (laughs) They really don't, uh, honestly. Um, You know, you can name some albums have won album of the year, but they're not the no one looks at albums that way anymore. No, no, it's all about the singles. It's all about the singles. But even still with that, the song or record of the year is not necessarily the most popular song as far as how many streams it has, how Mm -hmm. high it was on the charts. You know, that's not always the case. No, that's the American Music Awards right there. Yeah. <laughs> if you want that, a popularity in which, contest. Like, 
you know, the you already know the winners. All you have to do is do a little bit of math, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> basically. Um, so we have. Uh, I was trying to find the article about the the Grammy streaks. Give me just a second to pull that up. I was going to say, uh, I know last year, um, I mean, essentially, Billie Eilish was the Nora Jones. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's going to get dated. Now Billie Eilish is the Nora Jones because it's been a while since you've had an artist like Nora Jones who had all these nominations when she like first burst out on the scene. Yeah. Wins most, if not all of them. And I then we don't went, hear from her for a while. She went five, <laughs> five for five? I think so. I think so to Billie Eilish. Um, but winning the song and record of the year, best new artist. <clears throat> um, did she also win album of the year? I think Come Away With Me did win album of the year. So she won the big four. And I don't I, I don't know who else has done that. I mean, I mean, before Billie Eilish, between Billie Eilish and Nora Jones. Um, I know Lauren Hill didn't do it. Uh Maybe Adele, Possibly. but I think I think so. Pe- best pop vocal album was the other one that it won as well. But I think Adele, uh, she had already been. I don't, I don't even know if Adele even won best <clears throat> artist. But anyway, I know she's won a song. Uh, well, no, she's been nominated for song of the year. I don't know if she won a song of the year. Adele, mm-hmm. did she yeah, win song of the year for Hello? For Hello, and it for uh, <laughs> Rolling in the Deep. Okay, that one. Oh, I'm not but I think she was nominated for Best New Artist that. for when 19 came out. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody wants to win that. That's, that's the kiss of no. death. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but here's some some streaks that I, I saw that were interesting. Um, the Beatles, Ben's favorite band. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are the only act in Grammy history to receive a Grammy nomination for Album of the Year five years in a row. Holy crap. Uh, for the Help soundtrack, Revolver, Sgt. Pepper's, the Magical Mystery Tour soundtrack, and Abbey Road. Okay. And Let It Be was not nominated. Really? I think outside of, well, Sgt. So it would have been six in a row had that been nominated. I know people typically put Sgt. Pepper's as their best with... Um, I remember the VH1 list had Revolver as number yeah, one. Yeah, like some of the, like... I don't even know what's on those albums. Like the later ones, you know, like Let It Let It Be, the White Album, which is really just their self-titled album. And then Abbey Road are the ones I typically hear about the most. Let It Be, of course, you know, with the Let It Be Naked, people went crazy over that because it, you know, took out um, Phil Spector's um, uh, production and stuff and made it raw. So, but yeah, that's, I'm surprised that that was not nominated. That's very shocking. Another one here is uh, Barbara Streisand was nominated for Album of the Year four years in a row, the most by a solo artist. Uh, for the Barbara Streisand album, she won for that. The album People, My Name is Barbara, and Color Me Barbara. People's a good album. And uh, People was also, uh, well, Funny Girl, the Funny Girl soundtrack, soundtrack was People, also yeah. nominated, but that she she's, wasn't considered a nominee for that. Okay. That went to the composers. Um Oh, and for the Beatles streak, uh, Sgt. Peppers is the only one that won, apparently, out of those five. Uh, Frank Sinatra is the only artist in Grammy history to have three album of the year nominate to be nominated for album of the year three times, two different times. 
Hold on. Oh, so like the Jordan streak? Yeah. Three, <laughs> basically. He had a three-peat, took and some he, time off. He won three of those <laughs> six nominations. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, Stevie Wonder is the only one in history to win Album of the Year with three consecutive albums as far as like these albums are made in a row. Yeah. He won Album of the Year each time. So what? Songs of the Kid Life? Uh, what? Talking Book? Uh, Inner Visions. Inner Visions, okay. Fulfilling this first finale and Songs in the Key of Life. Okay. So I was way off. I got one. <laughs> and if Adele makes the album 30, mm-hmm. uh, she'll probably. Is that how old she is right now? She, it, that, I think that's what the next album would be called. Okay. The dance pop album that you're. The da- that I'm afraid of. Bated breath. That I am deathly <laughs> afraid of. Her um, intuition. <laughs> <laughs> it's intuition. It's um, it's Elefunk. <laughs> it's uh, whatever Michael Bolton's band was before he started doing power ballads. Oh God! I thought you were gonna say it's Liz Fair's "Why Can't I." <laughs> that too. It's all that. <laughs> um, let's see what else we got here. Donald Fagan has been nominated for Album of the Year for five consecutive albums, his solo stuff and Steely Day. I was going to say, like, which, but okay, okay. Uh, for Asia, Gaucho, and and Two Against Nature, which he won yeah, with Steely Dan, and also nominated for his first two solo albums, The Nightfly and Kamir Kiriad. Did Tommy Asia Kiriad. win? Asia did not win. Jesus, how does that not win? But, I mean, who knows who, who they were up against? It's a great album. Uh, let's see. Uh, Billy Joel's been nominated for Album of the Year for four consecutive albums. That's where that, that's where that ego comes from. Um, and <clears throat> the Stranger was not nominated, but if it had, it would have been the first of a five-album streak. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Paul Simon's nominated for four out of five albums. Sting has been nominated for four out of five albums. With the police and by himself? Right. Okay. So hold on. For Paul Simon, was this when he was a part of Simon and Garfunkel or solo? Uh, Both. Their last two with Simon and Garfunkel. And then his first, his, well, his first solo album did not get nominated. But then his next three were nominated. Okay. No, he's next two. So it was four out of five. Okay. And of course he won for Graceland, which It's the one you always hear about. Yeah. Like a- if you didn't a- know a- any better. Paul Simon goes to South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if you didn't know any better, you think that that's the only album he made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's what you think. And it's just like, oh no, he he did more. <laughs> um <laughs> let's see. Aretha Franklin. Uh, we talked about we may I know we made reference to Lenny Kravitz winning that certain category where he couldn't lose yeah. <laughs> every single year. <laughs> All you had to do was come out with a song. <laughs> but Aretha Franklin won best female R and B vocal eight years in a row. <laughs> eight. God, what decade was this? This was nineteen sixty seven to seventy four. Jesus. So it was essentially did she release something? Yeah. Vote for it. Give her <laughs> your vote. Look, when the streak ended, she didn't come out with a song. 
So essentially, it was her award to lose. <laughs> yeah. But then she just stopped trying. She won it three more times after that. Jeez, <laughs> she won it three more times. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, oh, Bill Cosby. I know people have their own their own thoughts and feelings about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he won Best Comedy Album six years in a row. I didn't know that. So that makes Dave Chappelle's streak kind of look a little. Yeah, Chappelle's yeah. at three. You you gotta you know you gotta keep coming out with stuff. <laughs> yeah, you gotta keep. <laughs> uh, John Williams won best original score written for a motion picture or television special, which is now called best score soundtrack for visual media. He won it six years in a row. Yeah, he was he was destroying the game, including uh, for Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and E. T. Uh, he was nominated in. Um, but the year he the streak ended, he lost the flash dance. So he lost to Giorgio Moroder. I was gonna say who okay. I, I thought I was trying to remember. I thought I think it was like Giorgio a, Moroder. It's like a dance producer that did their thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh but he's won five times since then. It, it kind of makes you wonder, is he the greatest movie composer, score composer of all time? I mean, he's definitely the most known. He's probably the most known. Um I don't know about but, nowadays because Hans Zimmer like, is kind of yeah, there's now. Hans Zimmer, um, Danny Elfman, even yeah. though he only does Tim Burton films. <laughs> um, or scores that sound like they should be in a Tim Burton film. <laughs> uh, Trent Reznor is getting up there. Yeah, Trent Reznor, inst- interesting second act. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the guy who is like, oh, yeah, the guy who made Closer <laughs> is now composing for Pixar films. Um. Uh, let's see, Allison Krauss and Union Station won six consecutive albums. Uh, with six strict, they won uh, for best for bluegrass for guessing. best bluegrass album five times in a row, and then one for best country album. But they were all six consecutive albums. Yeah, they're they're beasts. And she has twenty seven on her own altogether. Yeah, Allison Krauss and Union Station are highly highly respected in that. Um, in that, in that genre, yeah, um, and it is a it is a group that I wish I did know more about. I know about the respect that they have, but in my perusings of bluegrass, I have not looked into them as much as I should. Because you know, the one song people know is that um, "You Say It Best When You Say Nothing at All." That's the one that everyone knows. But um, apparently, Union Station is like one of the one of the better bluegrass backing bands you can have. Much respect to them. Uh, so we'll get to the. Uh, billboard charts here uh, now on week eight at being number one driver's license by olivia rodrigo so is it is it a jinx well i guess i mean what we're going into the summer is that going to be the song song of the summer is it this year's old town road oh old town road like kind of took off didn't it take off really in like may so it was like so she's peaked too early essentially yeah, like you say, it's the song of the spring, but who says that? <laughs> if says I'm, it's the song of the, like no one says. If that. I'm her marketers, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to push that. You got to push that. song of the spring. <laughs> you got to you got to push that out there. Make it the graduation song, but it's it's too depressing to be a graduation song. It's like yeah, it's like who wants to sing that at graduation? Like we Your, broke the, up. The virtual graduation. <laughs> Shouldn't be outside driving anyway. No, you should not. <laughs> Uh, number two is Up by Cardi B. Number three, Blinding Lights 
by the weekend, which is now uh, at at least a year in the top ten. Ooh, man, that's that's staying power right there. I I, I kind of don't get it. I mean, like what 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 is the long lasting appeal of this song in particular? I mean, it sounds like um, a song that would have been that was rejected from Drive and Scarface. <laughs> I think maybe and that's Midnight the, Express. Maybe that's the appeal. Drive is the one with um, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. I still haven't seen that movie. I mean, honestly, any of those movies you could say it's. It sounds like I. And I'm trying to think now. Of those scenes, I know there's a it's a synth heavy movie, right? All the music is very synth heavy. In drive, yeah, yes. Okay, I could totally hear that. Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, what might have helped it was the fact that I mean, of course, it's a big song. It's the weekend. It's Max Martin, right? I believe Max Martin wrote it. Yeah. Um. So I, I think what kind of helped it towards the fall, a lot of video games are using this song. It's featured heavily in 2K. I want to think it's on Madden also. And then he does the Super Bowl. Um, it's really just been everywhere. But I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, co-written by uh, Max Martin Belly, uh, the Gila, and <clears throat> someone named Oscar Holter. That, I that, do. That's wonder, probably the uh, new, the new, uh, new hotness. <laughs> the, the the new uh, protege of Max Martin. Yeah, I do <laughs> wonder. How much work he's doing on these songs at this point? Is he just coming in and saying, oh, that sounds catchy enough and letting it go through? <laughs> we wanted to sound 80s. All right. <laughs> well, here, do this, 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 and this. I'm going to the bar. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, number four, 34 plus 35 by Ariana Grande. That's 69. Yeah. <laughs> the kids still don't get it. I'm pretty sure um, there's a TikTok dance making fun of it. Uh, number five, Go Crazy, uh, Chris Brown and Young Thug. This has been in the top ten for a long time, too. Mm-hmm. Not not a year, but probably at least six months. Well, it's been on the charts for 43 weeks, so I would I don't say know. I don't know how many weeks it's in the top ten, but if it's been the top ten that whole time, then we're a couple months away Yeah, uh, with that one. Uh, Save Your Tears by the Weekend is number six. <laughs> Number seven, Mood by 24K Golden featuring Ian Dior. Uh, number eight, Calling My Phone, Lil TJ featuring Black. Number nine, What You Know About Love by Pop Smoke. And number 10, Levi- Levitating by Dua Lipa featuring DaBaby. Hmm. Uh, let's look at the albums. Uh, number one still is Dangerous, the double album by Morgan Wallen. I found this. Uh, I didn't know Rolling Stone had their own kind of charts. Mm-hmm. Um, they have their own. Well, it's not a clout list because <laughs> Billboard has their own formula, but their list, <clears throat> Rolling Stone's list, it's called the Artist 500, but it's just based on streaming numbers. Oh, that's, that's interesting. It. And Morgan Wallen's number one. On of course it. he is. They're supporting him. They are supporting <laughs> him. Never heard a Morgan Wallen song. <laughs> I haven't either. Uh, number two, the highlights by the weekend. Number three, shoot for the stars, aim for the moon by Pop Smoke. So it's it's moving up, mm-hmm. but maybe it's a new single, perhaps. Uh, number four, Shiesty Season by Pooh Shiesty. <laughs> number five, The Voice by Lil Durk. 
Number six, Positions by Ariana Grande. Number seven, My Turn by Lil Baby. Uh, if he even looked like he played basketball in that <laughs> two-on-two game, this album might be a little bit higher on this chart. <laughs> Man, he was awful. <laughs> was I didn't watch it. I didn't know when it was on. Did he look that bad? So I'm not sure of the rules because I, I didn't see the whole thing. But just from the highlights I saw, he was shooting a free throw. Mm-hmm. A free throw, okay? Don't see it. He hit the top of the backboard. Whoa, that's that might be worse than air blowing it. <laughs> it's bad. It was <clears throat> bad. Aye, aye, aye. Um, number where number eight, Future Nostalgia by Dua Lipa. Um, that's my pick for album of the year. Mm-hmm. Number nine, What You See Is What You Get by Luke Combs. Apparently, the nicest man in the country. <laughs> According to you, he would never do a Morgan Wallet. <laughs> He'd never that Morgan Wallet collab is not coming. It ain't coming. It's like hell no, man. He ruined his career, man. And number ten, Legends Never Die by Juice World. Let's look at the Artist One Hundred. Number one this week is it still Morgan? It is the weekend. Oh, sweet. Okay, good deal. So he's uh, he's got two top ten songs. He's got a top his greatest hits album. Um, Fresh off the bowl of super. Yeah. So he's number one this week. Number two is Morgan Wallen. (laughs) (laughs) Number two is Morgan Wallen. If they came out this hard, Trump would be in the White House still. If they came out this hard. See, Trump should have put out an album. (laughs) He should have made a video first of dropping in bombs and then put out an album. And they would have, yeah, it would have been over. Who would produce a Donald Trump song? Who would have the nerve? Ten years ago, <laughs> every rapper would have been like, oh, snap. Now, no, I don't know who touches that. I don't know who touches it. Maybe Rick Rubin, just because it's controversial. <laughs> and no, Rick Rubin used to be controversial. No. But then he might lose his hood pass. I don't know. Like, I don't know. It had to be whoever whoever Ted Nugent found <laughs> to produce any new stuff he's doing. <laughs> so it's going to be bad, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe Ted Nugent just produces it himself. He plays guitar on it. <laughs> they do a new version, an updated version of like Stranglehold or something. And just <laughs> I don't want him to or get to- Toby Keith does it. Oh God. Yeah, or his his writers or producers. Yeah, I, I could see that. Toby <laughs> Keith would be Yeah. I, I could I I actually could see that happening before Ted Nugent. Because I think Toby Keith is still relevant. I could see that happening. Or who was the, uh, wasn't there like some cover band that was supposed to be at the inauguration in 2017? I do remember that, but I don't remember It was remember a cover band, was. and then they backed out of it. Kid Rock. There you go. Yeah. That, that's who would do it. That's, that's, yeah. And he's touring. Yeah, it, it's definitely Kid Rock. He, he's probably been to a couple of shows. <laughs> Bob from Detroit. Good old Bob. <laughs> Well, bad, no, not not good old Bob. Not anymore. No, not he was, but anymore. not not anymore. Not anymore. Um, <clears throat> number three, Ariana Grande. Number four, Billie Eilish. Number uh, five, BTS. They were number one last week. Uh, number six, Pop Smoke. Number seven, Luke Combs. Number eight, Taylor Swift. Number nine, Post Malone. So he's back in the top ten. Hmm. Oh, he did a uh, he did a cover of a song recently. Yeah. Oh, um, I, uh, I only I want to be with you. you. Yeah, yeah for the Pokemon, which is just funny because like it's 
<laughs> I would have never expected him to do this. Like he is really trying to distance himself from rap music, man. Yeah, I mean he he sees who his fans are. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean it's not a bad cover. <laughs> and number ten uh, is Dua Lipa. Did she do something recently? Um, I don't know. I know they yeah, put her I in think, FIFA, but I think that was a while back. And the levitating video has been out for a while, so I don't know. Mm. Well, um, that's it for the charts. Uh, one thing I also wanted to add to oh, yeah, uh, I was trying to remember the, the, the next thing is um, so uh, I found this story about George Martin, who, if anyone doesn't know, uh, he is the was the longtime producer. And manager of the I Beatles? I think so. Um, I mean, he was essentially, well, I mean, you have two people that are considered the fifth Beatle. <laughs> Billy Preston and George Martin. You know, so I don't know if maybe they just want to make one of them the sixth. I don't know. But yeah, George Martin was essentially like another member of that band, they would say. And he was, I know he was, he produced everything they did. Except for like maybe a couple of things. But yeah. So, um <clears throat> of the Beatles sound. And the question is being asked, was he, can he be considered an EDM pioneer? So I'm seeing here, but he was, he was a producer under the name as Ray Cathode. So, um, or was it Ray Cathode? I don't know. That sounds weird. Ray Cathode. 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 Um, (laughs) so, I'd be very curious here, like, I mean, like, back in the 60s, what is there really to, like, use electronically other than, like, maybe a Moog? Like, you got a, a couple of, like, you know, roads and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I just Do can't. Theremins count? I guess. I mean, it's technically, do you plug them in? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So but. this is a song called Waltz in uh-huh. Orbit. And we are listening to this for the very first time. And uh, let's see how it sounds. Wait, if it will play. Hold on. Here we go. that sound what is that main playing the main melody line uh that's what i'm trying to see here um so there's there's no way he got the sound he heard in his head just but from the way you're hearing it yeah that sounds about 20 30 years ahead of its time <laughs> like it sounds like a, a synth lead that you'd hear in a dance club yeah but it's back in the 60s. <laughs> and everything else just kind of sounds like kind of samba-ish, jazz-ish. Like it yeah, all... It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't 
say what he what he played. It almost sounds like it could maybe be like a steel drum with a lot of reverb and distortion on it, maybe. But it's got that like that. It sounds like a synth lead. That's really cool. <laughs> and here's the other one called Time Beat, which uh, the BBC used for their instrumentals between TV shows. Okay, it's not the same. No, but that sound, the percussion there sounds EDM-ish. That kind of sounds more like it's time. Yeah. Yeah. The drum, the percussion sounds almost 80s, late, mid to late 80s, but... Sounds way more experimental than anything the Beatles are doing, though, even on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was a uh, a single, I guess, um, under the Ray. I don't know who was playing that, too. Uh, it says some studio musicians played the played the percussion on, on that one, on uh, Time Beat. And I'd say there were only... There were a hundred copies of the collectible vinyl that were released uh, last May and it includes some remixes by Sparkle Division and Drum and Lace um, but yeah so yeah that's probably the first time I've been surprised by music from the 60s in a long time um, that first track I was I was expecting something that just kind of sounded like and people trying to force it yeah <laughs> but that really did sound like a synth lead played back in the 60s i'm just trying to think like what are you what are you using to make that because I, I mean like just full stop as creative as producers are now you had to be really really creative back then because you didn't have all the all the things we have today um and i mean you know shout out to people like um Lug, ludwig i can't think of his last name the guy who works with um childish gambino he's extremely creative um Billy Phoenix is it Phoenix Eilish? Phoenix Eilish? Those are yeah. two producers. Oh, uh, Ludwig uh, Gorenson. Yeah, Ludwig Gorenson and Phineas, Phineas um, Eilish. Eilish are two of the more creative producers I can think of right now. But like back then, like everyone had to be creative because you can just dial up a setting and do something. Like yeah. you're trying to figure out like maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that. So I, I really do want to know what he did to get that sound. Because um, I mean, it sounded like a synth lead and then everything else under it just sounded like kind of jazzy samba like jazz mixed with a little bit of like samba which was gave it a really kind of cool beat that you could kind of dance to um hence why i guess people are thinking he's edm <laughs> that's pretty dope i'm not gonna lie that's pretty dope i haven't been shocked by old music like that in a long time so yeah um that was i i i found that interesting i thought i when seeing the headline i'm like okay Y'all, y'all might have forced this. Yeah, I just feel like y'all forced this, <clears throat> yeah. but there's some elements of it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, I wonder who he was listening to at the time though, like to make him 
want to do that or is he just like i hear this in my head and that's what i want to make you know <laughs> i'm just very curious so um oh yeah that was the one more thing we wanted to discuss here is the golden globes so the golden globes were last week i believe and um did they show up in hazmat suits <laughs> I didn't. I didn't watch it. So I, I have either. no idea. I don't know if they did it like the Emmys. Um, I do know some people uh, had their award handed to them. I don't know if they had on uh, hazmat suits or anything. Um, but let's look at the seventy eighth Golden Globe Awards hosted by Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Oh, lovely pairing. <laughs> So let's look at the song here. Uh, we look at the, the music part of this. So the best original score did go to John Batiste, Trent Reznor, and Atticus Ross for Soul. And for best original song, is it's a song uh, translated as Scene by Niccolo Aguilardi, Laura Pussini, and the Diane Warren. Incomparable. <laughs> <laughs> From the film The Life Ahead, which is uh, it's a film, an Italian film <clears throat> starring Sophia Loren. Uh, and the song is performed by Laura Pacini. And uh, see if I can pull it up here and we'll discuss it. See how it sounds. Uh Hopefully that's an I. <laughs> okay, it is. All right. So this is the song that won. Finisci le parole. Sto qui. Sto qui. Forse a te ne servono due sole. Sto qui. Sto qui. Quando impari a sopravvivere e accetti l'impossibile, nessuno ci crede, io sì. Sorry, I don't have much to offer on it. I mean, it's in another language. I don't speak Italian. No. Unless, no, you, do you? No. Okay. Uh, Arrivederci. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Ciao. That's all that. um, but uh, it's about um, the me the message. Apparently, it's, it's it's about diversity against prejudice and racism. Okay. Uh, Diana, Diane Warren did write an, an English version of the song and it was translated to Italian for the film. Okay. Um, so that that's where she comes in. Um, and it's the... The film only has the Italian language version, but Pacini does have... There is an English version of it. Let's... Oh, I think this is it. 
Like listening to this, it's just I knew that I just knew it. Like with this type of music coming back, Diane Warren could have a resurgence. Working with the right producer looks like a Canadian producer by the name of Greg Wells produced it. Yeah, you just have to find the right singers mm-hmm. who can sing her types of songs. Yeah, because everyone can't sing a Diane Warren song. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, Diane Warren writes varied melodies, which aren't the most popular thing nowadays. People want, you know, very uh, <laughs> monotone stuff. Diane Warren likes to write with, she likes to write with dynamics. <laughs> she likes to write, you know, she's not she, going to. She be writing songs. Huh? Yeah, she writes <laughs> proving songs. Yes. That's why I call them proving songs. And you don't get many of those anymore. So I'm I'm really glad to see her winning some stuff again. That's awesome. So yeah, and um, the uh, well, the Oscar nominations have not come out yet. Uh, Don't they? Are they usually out by now? They will be, but I think they they push back the deadline for okay. movies because it's normally New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. But I think I can't remember what they pushed it back to, but um, they they'll be coming out. Um, let's see if if. Uh, I'm looking at some of these winners, too, because I see Rosamund Pike won for I Care A Lot, which... It's on Netflix. Yeah, I haven't watched seen it that. Yet. It's, uh, I mean, she's, I guess she's entertaining, but I mean, she's a, she's the, she's like a, there's, there are no good guys in the movie, so... Well, yeah, it, it looked like one of those movies. Yeah, it's hard to root <laughs> it, for her. I, I, I saw the trailer, it looked like one of those. And I like Rosamund Pike. I mean, I, I... I and it's probably just because I love Gone Girl, <laughs> and she's delightfully sadistic in that movie. But I feel like maybe she's getting cast to play that role now. It's like, hey, we need you to be a strong female character that ain't afraid to do it, you know, ain't afraid to go there. And she's like, all right, I'll take your check. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the nominations will actually be out uh, this coming Monday. Okay, so we'll have something to talk about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, um, that will do it for our music news. And Ben, why don't you tell us about your earworm of the week? All right. So shout out to friend of the show, Maddie G. I think that's what he said when we call it, just Matt G. Matt G. Yeah. Matt G. Chill out on the West coast. <laughs> I sent him an IM or a text message. I'm not at work. And, um, so the song is never let you go by third eye blind, which is, if anyone knows anything about it, it's my favorite band. They're they're starting to lose ground, though, because there's a lot of really good bands out now. But um, funny story, two funny stories. Um, when this came out, I was in high school. This is my favorite band, and I wanted my family to like them. And so they the year this came out, they played halftime um, at the Detroit Lions game on Thanksgiving Day and sounded awful. 
and my entire family laughed. <laughs> they're like, you like this? And I was like, they normally sound better, but I was wrong. They don't. They're, all, they're an awful live band, so I should have never tried. But um, this is my earworm because a few years ago, Matt G heard this everywhere he went. Uh, sorry. It's okay. He kept hearing it on Sirius, in stores, like any place he was. Like It was like he was hearing it every day. On the way here, I stopped to get an energy drink, and I heard it. Texted him. He's like, I recently re-got Sirius, and, and I'm hearing it all the time again. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, never let you go. Third Eye Blind, shout out to to Matt G. <laughs> all right, so uh, we're going to play that song, and you hear it right now. We'll be right back. So that is Never Let You Go by Third Eye Blind from their album Blue. Uh, Kevin Cadigan had nothing to do with this one, right? No, he did, but this is the one he got kicked out on. Oh, okay. <laughs> Left at the airport, so to speak. Uh, one thing that always bothered me about whenever they play this song and this video, he's got a double neck guitar. One of them is a, you know, a six string, the other is a 12 string, which um, you know um, Jimmy Page always had you know when he was doing... That's, you know, once a 12 string was a 6 string, there's no 12 string in this song. So I don't know why he has the double neck other than just for show. Like, there's no 12 string. I thought maybe, like, in this part where it breaks down, there might be, but. Like, I don't think that's, that doesn't sound like a 12 string to me, no. So I don't know why he's got it there. Even when I see them play it, he never plays that other part of it. I, I don't I don't get it. I, I don't know. And those things are heavy. Like, why would you put <laughs> more stress on your back? Gibson guitars are all... Well, SGs aren't heavy. Les Pauls are heavy. You can ask any guitar player. I, I, I played the Zach Wild Les Paul. I think it felt like it was 20 pounds, man. It's just... <laughs> uh, so you can find that song. 
of uh you can find that song on our BTT YT Earworms playlist. Um and listen to Stephen Jenkins being extra. And he's still extra. <laughs> he's the only <laughs> remaining member. <laughs> and he's still extra. It's crazy. Um well, the reason why I asked if Kevin Catechan had anything to do with it is because he may, he it looks like he played on the track, but he is Stephen Jenkins is the only credited songwriter. Oh, so I don't know how much I don't know if he helped write that one, but he played on the album. He wrote some songs, but you know they had the big falling out where um, record company gives them a big advance. Uh, Stephen Jenkins wants to use it to start their own imprint. Kevin Catechan doesn't. Um, I think the rest of the band kind of was in agreement with Jenkins, and so they they just kicked him out. They, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, sometimes that's just how it goes. You know, there's a band called XEB, where it's like the former members of Third Eye Blind, <laughs> and they just go around playing these songs. <laughs> hey man, make your All money. Right. Make your money. <laughs> um. So we started the uh, this particular episode. <laughs> With a performance of Ain't Nobody's Business um, from the film, the U.S., excuse me, the United States. Uh, The United States versus Billie Holiday. And uh, that's the film we're going to talk about tonight. So, um, this film can be found on Hulu for Mm -hmm. anyone who wants to see it. Didn't have to go to the cinema to see it. (laughs) No, did not. Um, stars Andre Day as Billie Holiday. No, no relation as far as I know. Um, to who? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Day, Holiday, people are stupid that way. Oh, so goodness. They have to say it. They're not related. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Andre Day gives a Golden Globe winning performance. It was a very solid um, performance. And uh, she was also nominated for Best Original Song for Tigress and Tweed, which she co-wrote with Raphael Sadiq. Uh, this movie is also um, uh, directed by Lee Daniels. Yeah. So is this, I don't know how this works with the Oscars and streaming. Is this possible to be nominated for an Oscar? Her yes. performance? Okay. Uh, because I think there's like a limited, a limited theatrical release. If it's a limited theatrical release, mm-hmm. and then it's primarily on streaming, it it still counts. Okay, so it's got to be in theaters. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. there's like a certain amount of screens it has to play on. Okay. Because I mean, we've seen this for the last couple of years, and I think the Oscars kind of updated their rules. Like last year, I don't know if anyone watched The Irishman because you. you got to take a big chunk out of your day. It's like three plus hours. <laughs> uh, I haven't you know, seen it that once. You know how Scorsese is with the mob films, you know. Jesus, so. all of his films. <laughs> so, um, but The Irishman was in, that was on Netflix. Everyone knew like, okay, it's going to be on Netflix. Mm-hmm. But it had a limited theatrical run enough to where it was nominated for Best Picture, Joe Pesci and Al Pacino were nominated for Best Supporting Actor, okay. Scorsese for Director, and all Did that. Did it win any? Anything? Um, I don't know. I don't know if it won anything. Okay. Uh, I guess it doesn't matter, but I'm just curious. <laughs> maybe for the special effects, trying to de-age 
uh, Robert, De Ro- Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci by like 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God. That's like, that's like, that is like Scorsese's staple, though. Like, just these long movies, high, like, high energy, you know, just, yeah. Um, God bless him. <laughs> it, it didn't win anything. Oh, that's One, sad. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten nominations. The movie got ten nominations? Yeah. That's that's kind of like his thing, right? He just gets nominated and it never wins, except for like The Wolf of Wall Street, I believe. No, no. He Not won the one for The Departed. Departed. The, another uh, roller coaster ride. <laughs> <laughs> that's about three hours long. Yeah. I wouldn't think it would be. But... On your edge of your seat for like two and a half of it. <laughs> um. So, yeah. Uh, but with this one. Mr. Lee Daniels. Lee Daniels. Uh, and I had to give the full title uh, for he directed uh, Push based on, uh, no, Precious based on the novel Push by Sapphire. That is the full title of the film or something to that effect. Uh, he also produced it, written by Susan Laurie Parks, uh, who you may know for the Pulitzer winning uh, playwright. She wrote Top Dog, Underdog. Um, and she's, what else? Other screen. She wrote the uh, screenplay for Native Son, the remake, which had um, Ashton Sanders. If you've seen Moonlight or um, The Equalizer Two, <laughs> oh, he, okay, I've seen, I like The Equalizer Two. Yeah, he good. was the, the 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 kid, the painter. Oh, the one who painted the wall. Yeah, okay. okay. So he was in the remake of 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 Native Son. It was it was the. Uh, it's like an updated version of the novel. Okay. Uh, she also wrote Their Eyes Were Watching God, the screenplay for that, the Halle Berry TV movie. And she wrote uh, <laughs> Girl 6. That was her first screenplay. Girl 6? <laughs> so, oh, I thought I thought Spike Lee wrote all his screenplays. Uh, they, no, she wrote this one. Okay. I'm, I never saw Girl 6. They had a, God, what is her name? Um, Teresa Randall. Yeah, Teresa Randall. Okay. Man, that's that's a throwback right there. So yeah, and she's of course she's written plays. Uh, she wrote Top Dog, Underdog, In the Blood, which I know West Georgia did, um, and uh, she has a play called The America Play. So uh, and she, I guess the book adaptation for Porgy and Bess, she did that. So she she's definitely got the uh, the cred. Bonafides. Yes. Okay, okay. So, um, let's get into it, man. I have some notes. As do I. I. Uh, Well, I'll let you go first on this one. Okay, so. What's the first note you got? I guess the first thing I noticed, and this is not to get too political, but the nature of this movie, you're going to have to get a little political. Yeah. Striking visual to open with. Yeah. That was the first first thing I thought. Like, that was an... It kind of set the tone. I well, I thought it set the tone, um, but then the tone, of course, as you know, as we'll discuss later, kind of goes all over the place. It it changed. It kind of makes you forget how serious this movie is. Yeah, it's a very serious topic. So, um, and then of course, it gives you a little bit of background about lynching and about um, its history with our legislation, the United States legislation. And I felt that not only did you start out with a good stri- a striking visual to capture the attention of the viewer, you give them a little bit of background 
as to something that looks this horrific still has no national law <laughs> on yeah. the record, you know. Now, granted, I don't know what happens at the state level because if you've lived in the United States long enough, you know that people are here real touchy about their state's rights. So I don't know what states have what. Um, probably should have looked that up, but I didn't think to. But in any case, there's nothing national um, about that. So Yeah, and what's interesting is that what um, there was a bill introduced in 1937 Two years before the song, yeah, a bill introduced about banning lynching, yeah, it didn't pass. No, and then there's a bill, another bill introduced last year, yeah, still too still soon, still hasn't passed, still too soon, guys, still a little too touchy. I imagine maybe they're like, well, these don't really happen anymore, so why do we need it? Okay, whatever. <laughs> okay, I don't know where you live. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> the question. But, yeah, so that was kind of my first thing. And then, of course, um, it kind of, and I mean, and I, I don't mean to belabor the movie, cause it's, but it kind of felt cliche, the whole, like, sit down and do an interview. Yeah, I, I think, like, trying to find... Um, a reason for telling uh, the story. The, what they call a framing mm -hmm. device. Mm -hmm. The story. Yeah. yeah. To have this through line. Um, you know, it's something you see in a lot of biopics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, I I guess it was just, for it to be straightforward, mm -hmm. it may have looked, um, it may have looked even more fragmented yeah. than, than, you may, than you may have seen. <clears throat> so uh, part of me felt like some of those, I felt like that part might have been thrown in at the last minute. Because... The, the interview yeah, part? Because it didn't, it felt like they did not give it the attention it deserved. Like it felt like there's well, a yeah, lot. Well, yeah, you kind of, of forgot about it. Exactly, for a while. exactly. It starts the so movie like, and then you forget about it. Like they're like, "Tell me about my listeners want to know about this." And it's like, "Oh crap, I forgot this is an interview." <laughs> and then it was supposed to be like you know a transition to another part, but like, yeah. And then yeah, it felt I, broken when it did it. Like, tell us about Tallulah um, Monk. What was her name? Tallulah Bankhead. Bankhead. We already saw Tallulah Bankhead. Yeah. Like, maybe it's out of order or something. But I don't you know. know. <laughs> like we don't. I don't know if it was if we there's saw a director's Bankhead cut in the first five minutes yeah so i I, mean, I just it didn't really that kind of bothered me that they did it that way but i, I mean like it might have been something that maybe the studio saw it and was like hey we need something to help tell this something story connected. because the the character of reginald lord divine played by leslie jordan is a fictional character okay so i didn't know if he was real or not or she was real or he he yeah okay because I thought they called. Well, I know the actor is, is a is a male. Was that yes. supposed to be a female character or a male character? A male character. Okay. Because I thought they called him called um called her a woman or something at one point, but transgender. Maybe that's what I'm wondering. I don't know. That's what I thought. Some, something that, I've, but it, it's a fictional character that <laughs> was created based on um, gossip columnists of the time. Okay. And I know they'll do that sometimes. They'll take characters and combine them. Um, because I definitely felt like. Hen Harry Anslinger yeah. was combined with at least a couple of people. No, that is a real person. Well, I know he's a real person, but like his personality, I felt like, like there's, because mm -hmm. I felt like they, were, they threw a little bit of like, we, we can't see Hoover. So there's a little bit of Hoover in there with him. Because mm -hmm. I knew Harry Anslinger was a, was a pretty bad person. <laughs> mm -hmm. Looked nothing like him. The guy who they cast. Well, well Garrett Hedlund, uh, for who you may have seen in Friday Night Lights, or four brothers; those are the ones that I know. Uh, I thought he was too young to play him. 
Yes. Way too young. Yeah. Because when, like I didn't realize it until I saw the scene where uh, Kennedy gives him like, the medal. The, yeah. Yeah, the medal. And like, this dude looked old. This is like four years after she died. They, like, just all his hair just fall out. All of it. Man. And he aged. He aged twenty years and four years. Shaved on his facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I guess they were looking for the essence. I, I guess that's how that goes. Yeah. Which is why I thought when the with the look, maybe he was supposed to represent a couple. Like knowing that he was real, but then like, oh yeah, you're gonna represent this bad person, this bad person. The um, racist government. Yeah, Everything. you know, what Bill Burr said, like, just one giant racist. Get off the pool! <laughs> um, that's what he kind of... Like, the first scene when they're in the they're in the room and everyone's dropping inwards. I'm just like, yo, this is... Like, it's... Yeah. Like, I, I know that type of stuff happened because apparently he was so... Like, he was racist even for, like, 1920s, 1930s. <laughs> he was racist for... Like, that give, to give you an idea of how racist he was... They thought he was a bad racist then. <laughs> They're like, dude, pull it back. In the 30s. <laughs> pull it right, back, well. man. Like, you're a little, what the hell? So, um, but, like, that was, I mean, that's one of those movies where, I, it's one of those movies where, like, people should be exposed to that scene to understand that, you know, yeah, that used to happen. Like, the government used to do that. They used to think that way about black people. And they were so afraid of a song. Scared. So afraid, so scared. Like it just, and I think that goes to something that I know we've talked about before: the power of music, the power of the written well, yeah, word, like the spoken the, word, the sung word. Well, the thing with with Harry Enslinger is that he he thought he 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 was one of those that saw jazz as the devil's music. I yeah. think that was a line in the film: jazz mm-hmm. is the devil's music, and. We need to stop this. Yeah, and because it was, and because these artists were popular, like they they only made a little reference to it, but they weren't just going after Billie Holiday. They were going after Louis Armstrong. Mm-hmm. They were going after Charlie Parker. Yeah. Um, I don't know when like Coltrane's era actually jumped off, but it, probably him too. Yeah. Uh, and Miles Davis take probably. away cabaret licenses so you could yeah. I know that was New York. A, this could be a, a future episode because I've never seen the movie and it's one of Clint Eastwood's films that's not really talked about is Bird about Charlie Parker. Okay. Uh, Forrest Whitaker plays Charlie Parker. Oh, okay. How uh, old is this? It, I think it came out in like 88, 89. That's probably a lot. I've never heard of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's it's like, if you think of Clint, Clint Eastwood's films, Unforgiven, Million Dollar Baby, Grant Torino. Mm-hmm. No one talks about Bird. <laughs> no, one I didn't know he was directing role. back then. I didn't even know. Yeah. Hmm. Um. But it's. But like you said, it was the. Uh. It was a war on. Say it was a. It was a war on black people. Yeah. Uh. Being disguised as a war on drugs. Yeah. Um. But it. They were just scared of black people making something of themselves. Yeah. Uh, because I, 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 with Billie Holiday, she really tried. She really tried to clean up. Mm-hmm. She really tried to live a good life. Mm-hmm. I really feel like she tried to do that. But the trauma with the anxiety, the mm-hmm. depression, what how she interprets love. And then on top like, of that, everyone was, around you is trying to frame you. Like, it yeah. seems like you can't trust She couldn't anyone. trust anybody. And the one person that she could trust 
he already showed you can't trust him yeah. at the beginning, but then he tried to get her trust back. Yeah. Like how do you how do you can you do that? So it was a if that if he wasn't a real character, I would not have believed his character arc. Yeah. Because it felt it felt fake almost. Like and he like he kind of starts off almost kind of like a Mike Lowry. Like he's got money, but he wants to be in law enforcement for some reason. And he's like, drugs are ripping up Harlem, and I want to do something. I want to make a he's difference. coming back from the war. Yeah. Soldier boy. <laughs> she kept saying that. I was like, stop. Stop it. But, like, and then all of a sudden he starts to realize, I'm being used. <laughs> and he realized that early on. But it's like he yeah. immediately realized I shouldn't be doing Like, yeah. this is wrong. Mm -hmm. But... And, and, you know, basically his and then I believe his arc turned into trying to get her trust mm -hmm. and her love. And that just wasn't going to happen. And even when he like was he really had no chance, even when he was, though, I I was like, what angle is he playing? Because he's like, they want you yeah. to think that I don't work from them. Like he goes to see her in prison and he's like, they're going to do this. They're trying to get me to do this. I'm like, is that a is that a ploy? <laughs> right it's like you can't trust it you and can't trust then, it but he's trying out, to make it sitting there with the other fed and they're watching it it worked all right okay so what are you doing like what are you doing then you follow on the road are and, you just trying to hold on to your job like i don't yeah that, i'm like your mom told you you don't need the money <laughs> come on home you can do whatever you want like man so i just i didn't understand it like his and i don't know if that was writing or if he really did that i don't know but that's his character arc was one that just like, and then his line at the end felt poorly delivered. Maybe that was the best take when he's like, you just scared because she's strong. She's beautiful. And she's black. And he just says it kind of like with this look on his face. And I'm just like, ew. Like, do that take, do that take again, man. That was, you know, but. I, the was, message that, got through. And that was supposed to be his moment of standing up to his superiors. Yeah. It fell flat. I, I, I get you there. Yeah. It, like, I, I mean, I felt like, you know, in terms of, and this is kind of going away from the the music and the message, I felt like Andra, Andra, excuse me, Andra Day was the best part of this movie. Like, oh, yeah. by far. Um, she's, she's, she was great. I, I really... I, I bought every I bought every second of it, especially when and not not to go out of order here, but especially when her moment when she gets off the bus, I guess she was going to use the bathroom and she hears the screaming yeah, yeah. and she walks and she sees a lynching. Right. Or the remnants of a lynching. And I was the very next scene. She sings the song. Yeah. Uh, for me. Yeah. And well. well We'll get back to something chronological here. But for me, that particular moment, I think she sang the song because it resonated with her. She knew these mm -hmm. things were happening. But then for and then she stopped singing it, you know, because she was trying to protect herself or other people were trying to protect mm -hmm. her. But when she saw that lynching, it became real to her uh, yeah. again. Uh, yeah, all over again. Uh, so, like, she's got to sing it now. Yeah. It's not like. You can't deny mm -hmm. what the song is about, uh, even though I got when I once I got to the end of the of the film, it's like it wasn't about this song. The, it was never about the song. Oh no, no, no! The government tried to make it that way. It never was. Mm -mm. There, it was just being afraid of black people. Yeah. Um. So back to the uh, beginning with the with this radio interview. Yeah. 
what's it like to be a colored woman? So yeah, I wrote I that. Was, Doris Day is not colored. Like you wouldn't ask Doris Day that. I was like, who? I feel bad. I had to look up Doris Day. <laughs> I had to look her up. And I was like, oh, okay, she's a white lady. All right, yeah. One of the biggest stars of, at the time. Oh, but, what did she star in? What she? What was she in? I don't know. She's in a lot of stuff. It's like thirty stuff. I know she was married to Bobby Darren. What? I know Bobby Darren. Yeah. That's homie. That's Mac the Knife. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to talk about Beyond the Sea and how Kevin Spacey was like 30 years too old to be playing Bobby Darren. But no. it was his passion project. Oh, God. Because he wrote and directed it and everything. But anyway. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Uh, yeah, that was a very on-the-nose question. Because <laughs> you know what? I feel like white people still ask black people that kind of question today. Today, yeah. What's it like to be a black person just, you know, trying to make it in this industry. I don't know. <laughs> Hard? <laughs> you don't have a better question than that? That was... Okay, who was the guy that was with her that had the Sherman Helmsley haircut? Cause, oh, like, that was that was Miss Freddie. You're the one who had, like, the, the conk, the process. Uh-huh. That Miss Freddie. That's Miss Freddie. I didn't know that. Huh, Okay. He was he was all like, <laughs> like this dude put him on a leash. Like <laughs> you got our money, like, oh, okay. All right. Uh, all right. <laughs> we know why you're here. <laughs> um so uh we see the performance at Cafe Society. I think that's where that was, where we see we see Jimmy for the first time and Billy Holiday's performing. Um she got female groupies, all all like they all were, sorts. They were sitting right up front. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I mean, like reading a little bit about Billie Holiday, you know, over the last few years or whatever, we, I knew that she was uh, bisexual mm-hmm. at least, and she may have had a relationship with Tallulah Bankhead. And I think there was another actress mm-hmm. that she may have been involved with. The one thing that was new to me was the Orson Welles reference. I think I might have missed that. So this was at at the beginning, uh, after after that show, <clears throat> and uh, Roz, Rosalind comes up to her and says, Orson Welles wants, wants to see you. Okay, I remember and that one, yeah. she says, uh, tell him to call me tomorrow, Monroe's out of town. That's the only reference Ooh, to Orson okay. Welles. But I didn't know there was any affair with Orson Welles. I didn't. Okay, wow. And so I, I, and I have to, I do have to admit, I am not as versed in Billie Holiday as, as most. So a lot of this I, I came I'm into. Not, I'm not so much either. Yeah. But I mean, there are some things that I've, I've read. Okay. Um, but I did do oh, yeah. a, a fair amount of research after watching this movie to try to, you know, on her Harry Anslinger and just to kind of. You know, to kind of verify some things. Because, you know, sometimes they don't get it right. <laughs> um, one note I had, and you might have had something similar. Reginald doesn't get it and never will. Reginald, he was the... Um, the, the I have to look at these. I have to remember these names. The interviewer. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah no, no, he... No. The whole time, everything <laughs> he was asking was just, why didn't you behave? <laughs> he, he doesn't get it. And he'll he, never get it. No. He'll no. never get it. And and knowing that he's a fictional character, it's probably written that way. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. represent a confused white person that just doesn't understand why they shouldn't be asking these sorts of questions. Um and at one point they asked him to turn off turn off the um recorder. <laughs> like yeah. as soon as what about Tallulah Bank? Turn off the recorder. 
Don't ask about that. Like, <laughs> um, what was the next note I had here? Make sure we're still recording real quick. All right. So the next note I had was, um, well, basically the war on drugs is the government being afraid of black people. Um, and then I, like, I didn't know who Jimmy Fletcher was supposed to be. I didn't see, I didn't read anything about that. So when we see that he is an FBI agent, I just wrote, sometimes it be your own people. Yep, it really do. <laughs> like, and, and so, I mean, it, it, so going back to the type of person that Harry Anslinger was, um, essentially is using him to infiltrate Harlem to get close to Billie Holiday. Yeah. He um, had to sell drugs. Yeah. They gave him, um, uh, they gave him money. They gave him lots of drugs. He was dealing uh, in, some that's in some portion as well so. yeah looking looking at it honestly was really kind of disgusting like when you think about it kind of going a little bit further just to think about what they did to her what they did to dr king um and various other um you know minority black leaders you know some hispanic people you know what, what is- they did to them when they tried to rise up and do something you like what can we like they're sitting there what can we get her on yeah, so it, it was kind of like any time, I mean, because we can look at this in, um, in that time, and it's probably more hidden now because people don't really think about it. Mm-hmm. It was like any time a black person had any kind of prominence, yeah, the FBI, they were on the FBI's list. Yeah. So, like I said, it was with Louis Armstrong and Charlie Parker, you know, and then compare this also to Judas and the Black Messiah mm-hmm. with Fred Hampton. Yeah. J. Edgar Hoover is connected to this yeah. is the, the connection is J. Edgar like Hoover, Hoover is just well. like that. <laughs> but and, it's like they also in um one night in Miami. Yeah. Uh, and we talked well, we talked about this Sam with the Sam Cook episode. Yeah. The FBI was looking at Sam people Cook. People think that they're looking this, at Malcolm X. Muhammad people think Ali. the freaking government killed Sam Cook. I mean, there's that conspiracy. Yeah. So you you think about these things. I mean, it's just kind of like you know. It's, it's disgusting. It was one of those things, one of those, as they say, proven conspiracies. <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, no, there's no way it can happen. And then it's like, you find, oh, yeah, it was happening. It was totally happening. And for all the reasons that you think it was totally happening. <laughs> um, so when we get to when Billy gets arrested <clears throat> and she's in court and she's heading to court and that black reporter asks her, you know. Why can't you be better? Better for like, your race like or something Ella to that effect. Yeah. Or Marion Anderson. <laughs> And basically you're saying, well, like, black people aren't helping me. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's kind of like, in that moment, I wrote, Billy was self-aware. Mm-hmm. Self-destructive. But self-aware. But also self-aware. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I felt that was a, a definitely a a major part of how the character is played and, and the story. Like, so, she, yeah. she seemed like she was super smart. Uh, but she had demons that she couldn't necessarily overcome. So even going back a little bit before that, before she goes to jail, and she's talking to, I think she's, I can't remember who she's talking to, but it's about that song about Strange Fruit, and she goes, people don't know that I care about these things. Was that before or was that after? I know what you're talking about. I can't remember. Because it was right before the dog funeral, which I thought was hilarious. Um... Oh, she was talking to Jimmy. That people don't know. Okay, yeah. yeah. 
people, I thought that was a big statement because um, it was before because she didn't know he was a fed. Okay. I thought that was a, a big statement to say because it rings true even nowadays Yeah, where you do have your artists out there that will talk about that are socially conscious. But for the most part, people will tell you, don't talk about if you're an artist, don't talk about that type of stuff because that's the quickest way to turn your audience off. You know, it goes back to, the, you know, the famous saying, which I do think sometimes is taken out of context, but he said it for Republicans buy shoes too. yeah, Michael Jordan. Um, he said it as a joke. Yeah. But because he was donating to, <laughs> to black causes, <laughs> yeah. so which is why I think is t- is sometimes taken out of context. Yeah. But what he said does ring true. Yeah. Like you, the how do you? What's the quickest way to alienate your audience today? Say Black Lives Matter. <laughs> black people might not turn on you. But white people will. Not all of them, but a lot of them will turn on you. Well, no, some some black people will turn on yeah, you. Yeah, some black folks too. But it's just kind of one of those everyone, everyone wants to interpret that in as their something own way. different, yeah. So for her to say that back then and have that song be kind of her vessel on how to let people know, because the majority of her songs are like you know kind of happy go lucky songs. You know they're very they're upbeats, they're bops as the kids would say. Um, and then you've got this song, you know, that starts out with you know a very uh, kind of like this movie starts with a striking visual. The song starts out with a very striking, if you're, you know, thinking about it, very striking visual. So I thought that was a, a very, very, very big statement for her yeah. to say. Um, so after the after she sentenced, because she wouldn't say who her dealers were. Um, <laughs> like they cared. <laughs> uh, Jimmy goes back to the office. That, I, that applause was gross. Yeah. That applause felt gross to me. Because it's, I think it's, it's supposed his, to. Though. His black coworkers are applauding him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got that black woman. I like, think it was. <laughs> I think it was supposed to make you feel bad, and I'm glad that not because I don't like white directors, but I'm glad a black director directed this because I think a white director gets hell for that scene. Yeah, I think they get like, really, you gonna make them clap, or, or he wouldn't do it, or that, oh, that or, or, or they'd be afraid. Yeah, they'd be like, oh yeah. hell no, I'm not touching. This. <laughs> I'm yeah, not touching. I feel them. bad, like. But Lee Daniels just went like, well, that's how it that's how it happened. Or Susan mm-hmm. Lloyd Parks, that's how it you know, that's what what's what happened here. All right, hold on. Yeah. pull up the monitor real quick. But uh that's how it went. So yeah. I, I just thought, oh, that's Yeah. Uh, and I think I think it's supposed to make you feel gross. Because it was a gross scene and it was a bunch of people who maybe their hearts were in the right place. Yeah. Like, yeah, I live in Harlem, and I'm sick of seeing it getting torn apart. Well, Billie Holiday is not the person <laughs> that you want. She is she's not, not tearing Harlem apart. Yeah, she's not. <laughs> that is, as they say, that's not your hill to die on. It is not Billie Holiday. There's other people out there. And I think he finally does come to realize that. Like, we're going after the wrong person. Like I said, it didn't take long for him to realize it. Yeah. So. It, like, I, yeah. I, I had a. Uh, no, it didn't take Jimmy long to tell her the truth yeah. about what the what was supposed to happen. Because yeah. even when she, we saw the, her being arrested and being <clears> sent <throat> to jail, that was like what twenty five minutes yeah, in, very quick, very fast paced of this movie. And they harassed her. She was she was All harassed the rest minutes. of her life after yeah. that. Yeah. Um. 
So I had to look at what the deal was with the cabaret license. Um, my, my think of cabaret, I think of my internship in Connecticut. <laughs> um, but there is a thing as far as... Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of... So there's a lot of talk of it being used to keep black musicians yeah. and black performers out. Um, looking it up, it looks like a, it, it kind of looks like one of those things where um, if they just didn't like you, they would find a way to take it under dubious, um, dubious claims to begin with. A lot of black musicians got it. The one performer, not of color, but I, and I think he's Jewish. So there might've been something there. Lenny Bruce, mm -hmm. because he was of course really profane. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they took his also. But the other list of all, like, the most famous performers, others were black. Um, oh, there's a white performer. Well, in this list, I see uh, Chet Baker. Chet Baker, yes, yes. I saw him, too. I forgot. He is, he is white. Um, but, yeah, they would, I, my guess is if you were just doing stuff they did not like, they would, you know. They would come and take it. Yeah, and just under Duke. And, of course, back then, you know, like, I mean, you'd be talking about how corrupt the government is now. <laughs> like, so, from what I see here, um, a law, it was a law passed in 1926. Mm-hmm. And uh, the law was originally targeted jazz clubs in Harlem uh, because the, these clubs would have were were integrated. Ooh. <laughs> Integration. Um, and so they would look for uh, and because it, I think because prohibition was still kind of going on at the time. Basically, it is a license to perform in a place where alcohol is served. Mm -hmm. But like you said, there were. Um, many reasons why people would have their uh, licenses revoked, yeah, um, and they or they made it expensive to get a yeah. license. Um, so um, from what I can yeah. determine, you know, the, from the way she talked, she could perform at other places, yeah, like outside could, of New York. This was a New York thing. The cabaret yeah. card was a New York thing, but. She's, you know, living in New York. Her that's her her home base. Yeah, I can't perform at my home base, you know. So, um, so I, but I was glad that you know she eventually she goes out on tour, and she's able to you know to plays at Carnegie. She plays at all these places, and of course she goes and and works with um, the corrupt guy who owns the uh, who I thought oh. was the guy from Stomp the Yard, but it's not Joe him. Levy. Yeah, Joe Levy, um, who pays off the right people and also gets a little bit of. Sugar from her, I guess you could say, on the side. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it was funny that, like, it, it. I feel like it could have been addressed more or 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 more effectively. Um, we know who Jimmy is at this point. Mm -hmm. He keeps showing up. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, but... Should something I, I know he was trying to protect her, mm -hmm. but it's very clear that the rest of the crew doesn't trust him. Yeah. I well, mean, even though he he's being straightforward <clears throat> now. Well, no one trusted him. His job didn't trust him. Clearly right. they had him tailed. <laughs> the right. band don't trust him. Uh, he's a fed like he's is he still working for yeah. the feds? Like he's on the phone talking say, oh, to his want, boss. They they want you to think they 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 fired me. Yeah. Okay, so you're still a fed. Yeah. So like why are you here? Yeah, that was just it was <laughs> like a, I mean, that's part of the movie where that inconsistent tone came in. 
Like, it's just like, what is what is his true angle? Um, why are we just now finding out that you've got someone tailing you? And they and they never address it again. Yeah. Like, you see but him. You see, but you saw that guy. He, when they first arrest her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, and then every time you see her performing or you see Anslinger or you see that one dude yeah. who had no lines, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> it's looking missing. And, he, and then he was tailing them when they were on tour and there was some other place, but you always saw that guy. Yeah. Um, but you never, they, I don't know. Like they <laughs> don't talk about it. They don't really, like you just know that someone's tailing the tailor and they right. literally had him what, 30 feet behind the bus? <laughs> Was he really that close? <laughs> 30 feet, like... At hey, a, the FBI couldn't afford binoculars at that time. I guess not, man. <laughs> like, uh, he's hanging out with them when the bus breaks down. Like, it, it's just... But, like, it's a real character. And so that's why I say, like, you know, if he wasn't real, I would have called BS on all of this. <laughs> there's no way that well, he... It would have seemed like he was the framing device. Yeah. Like, Not, there's no way he walked from a payphone <laughs> with his boss to a hotel room and had sex with Billie Holiday. <laughs> and and he and him not knowing he's being tailed when all you had to do was turn around. Yeah, bad FBI agent, man. <laughs> no, actually, wasn't he facing that direction? I think he was. <laughs> like, he's a bad agent. He let himself get beat up by her husband. I'm like, I thought they taught you to fight. Like, <laughs> they didn't think about all like it's just like he's just well dead. no they they didn't teach the black people about I fighting. guess not they man because he stayed getting beat up man <laughs> like he kept and at some point I'm like he's gonna break out some Krav Maga or something like he's gonna nope okay he got beat up again all right <laughs> um, I think what what we've seen historically you know I think the government had a their goal was to get rid of drugs with this war on drugs mm-hmm. but there never seemed to be a real goal in mind. No. And like they felt like they were going to stop drugs. And as you mentioned, uh, was this before we started recording about Anslinger failed on the prohibition? So, yeah, he came in under um, not at a lower level, but kind of like as an assistant to whatever his role was right at the tail end of prohibition. Yeah. So I do think one thing that the author of this book does is I think he inflates Anslinger's role in prohibition. Like, the way he makes it seem, you'd think that he was there the entire time. And he wasn't. He was there for, like, the last year and a half to two years of Prohibition. Um, and then when, you know, when after that, you know, failed, like, in epic fashion, um, he starts this war on drugs. Um, and one of the things that the author who wrote the book, I think, is um, escaping the scream or running from the scream. Chasing the scream. Chasing the scream. He talks about how... He hated two things, black people and addicts. <laughs> Billie Holiday was both. So he it was his goal to bring her down. And he inadvertently starts, or maybe not inadvertently, it seems like he was trying to, starts the war on drugs, which a lot of what you heard back him saying back then and doing back then is stuff that's still being done now. He ran a bunch of smear campaigns and all these things. I, I, I didn't do... Uh any research on Anslinger, but just seeing this part about uh, his anti-marijuana campaign. Yeah. Saying that, like, oh, this guy went crazy and killed his family. All because of cocaine. I mean, of cannabis. It says, yeah. colored students at the University of Minnesota partying with white female students 
smoking marijuana and getting their sympathy with stories of racial persecution. Result, pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah, he, all sorts of propaganda that he would feed to the newspapers, and then he would use those stories that he made up <laughs> and say, this is why you can't do this. Sound familiar, people? Sound familiar? Yeah. Oh, this is where you got, Ant uh, Antigua was considered so racist that he was regarded as a crazy racist in the 20s. Yeah. Like, how bad? <laughs> you beating up black people every day <laughs> while yelling the N-word? Just... It's like, oh, that's crazy Harry. <laughs> Butler walks in like, oh, Harry got another one. Like, um, that's it's insane. Like you're. I was I I I didn't know the the story with Louis McKay, so I was early on this. I put Louis McKay is hilarious. <laughs> that's why I first saw him. Louis I thought it was hilarious, but throughout the rest of the movie, oh, okay. He is almost Ike Turner. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. All right. So let, let's address this. As you, as you kind of stated, she didn't really know what a healthy relationship with a man looked like. No. Well, so, and, and then once there was one with Jimmy, something that looked like a healthy relationship, mm -hmm. partly because she couldn't trust him mm -hmm. and she never did. She ran away from that as fast as she possibly yeah. could. Um, is it me or is the song Ain't Nobody's Business kind of get the Angus I'll, little um, oh. pro-domestic violence? If like, my you don't care beats if he me? hits you as yeah. long as he don't leave? Like, you don't care if your daddy beats you? Like, I hear those songs that, like, they make fun of on Ooh. Family Guy with. They talk <laughs> about domestic violence, and I was like... These are a little far-fetched. Come on, Seth. And then I heard this song. I'm like, okay, he was on. He yeah. was he was spot on <laughs> with these songs. It, it's kind of almost like, well, you know, it looks like Seth McFarlane will never lie to you. No, no. He's <laughs> he been around so many up. things at this point. Like, <laughs> he does not make things he up. He doesn't make things up. I don't think he knows how to lie. <laughs> like, if you think he's lying, go do some research and you'll hear, ain't nobody's business. Here talking about, I don't care if my pappy hits me, as long as he don't leave me. And oh. you're just sitting there like, well, that explains why you're okay with fighting with your husband physically. Like, is it because I punched you in the lobby? Like, she said that. Like, yes. Like, I think people are confused about our relationship. Because I punched you in the lobby. What's going on? Like, y'all, this is so dysfunctional. But that's all she knows. That's what she knows, yeah. That's all she knows. So it's just like, the bar is so low at this point. And that's, I don't know. I, at first, I felt like they were playing it up. But I guess it seems like they really were not. Like, this is what her life was. And it's sad because, like, she's famous. Yeah. She's rich and famous. Like, today, she wouldn't, she wouldn't have to take that. <laughs> she could get the help she needs. She's got money. Um, but I believe this is around the time that I was like, I see a lot of Amy Winehouse, a lot of Amy Winehouse yeah. in her. And, and that, and she's <laughs> one of Amy Winehouse's major influences. Yeah. And that, yeah. So like, Amy Winehouse had a lot of tragic influences. Yeah. So yeah, mid movie, I was just like, I just, I see so much Amy Winehouse here. And it starts to, you know, knowing the style of singer she was, the type of music she adored, the people she adored. Yeah. It's like she uh, took all the 
the hurt and the pain made this great music, but like, what's the cost, you know? Yeah. And and I kind of felt that way about Billie Holiday. Granted, I know she's not writing all of these songs, but the way in which you sing these songs and the way in which you perform and what you put into it, you put everything that you're putting into it is your collective experiences. And a lot of times, you know, you, you can't get the beautiful expression without the pain. But man, what's the cost? You know, what's the cost? Um, let's see what else I got here. Um, okay. Um, Jimmy protects Billy in court with him stuttering. <laughs> do you uh, think he did that on purpose? Or do you think he really just got shook? In the, in the moment? I think he did it on purpose because if he, if he's the, if he's the star witness, mm-hmm. he's been prepped. I would hope. Right. Yeah. And so if he stumbles at all, the case is going to fall apart. Yeah. Because he's the only one who's been in there. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on him. So I think part of that is that he, he protected her. And this was when, uh, Joe put the, the drugs in her robe. That was so <laughs> transparent. What are you doing? What are you doing? He's just like at this huge vial of drugs trying to put it in her. Just like, drives it out and then the and then the cops walk in. I'm like, come on, man. The most conspicuous thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so, and like, it, they tried to get her on a technicality because she had the drugs in her hand. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, FBI, y'all got to do better than that. I feel like nowadays, I was like, I'm pretty sure nowadays they just take my blood and you can see that that got clean. <laughs> it's like, so apparently, you know, the first time they arrest her, she pees herself. She pees in front of Jimmy yeah. and says. In the movie, y'all see her yeah. shirt naked, which she really did. But then, yes, yeah, she also pees. And says, test it. You can, you'll see that I'm not on anything. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's ways to find that out. But it's just like, that was the most. That was what ham fisted, if you want to put it in there, like yeah. just trying to drop this thirty pound vial of drugs <laughs> in her jacket <laughs> pocket and just hope that she doesn't see it somehow. Like you think I'm an idiot? <laughs> so Joe Levy is not good at sneaking things in the no. pockets. He's definitely not a, a thief in that regard. One of um, the many men they tried to use to bring her down. Yeah, and that was that was interesting thing too. They that, they feel like they realize that she latches on to men. Yeah, they tried. They, I mean, they tried to use things against her, and uh, that was part. That was part of the downfall. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, <laughs> she didn't latch on to the smartest men. No, no, not, not at all. Uh, no. uh, the next thing I had here is uh, when Jimmy comes back when he meets him at. Uh, I guess backstage at a show or something and they make him get high. They make prove, him shoot the heroin. Prove it to us. <laughs> um, the first, and what I thought of is that, <laughs> of that uh, Dave Chappelle, Wayne Brady sketch. <laughs> I didn't know you liked to get, get wet. wet. <laughs> I mean, I know it wasn't the angel dust, but still that's what I thought of. PCP. Uh, and like, and then the, fl- and then the, the flashback into like, the uh, when her mother kicked her out, mm-hmm. uh, very reminiscent of um, "Get On Up." That part was that whole sequence. Yeah, because they use a lot of flashbacks, very trippy esque. I can't think of another word, but just very trippy flashbacks where it's not flashback of like a true memory. It's just like, hey, 
here's how you're going to get there. (laughs) Some weird, you know, he wasn't like talking to, he wasn't breaking the fourth wall or anything with like, you know, James Brown did, but that's what it reminded me of. Um, And then when they come back to Jimmy, he's crying. And Mm -hmm. and the first thing I thought was like, y'all made heroin the sunken place. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She was getting all philosophical. Like, don't love that feeling. Cause ain't gonna love you back. I was like, y'all are getting so, so deep about her drug use. Like, this was, man. Um, and then there's the um, the scene where she sees the lynching. Yeah. And I was trying, it, it took me a second to kind of grasp what was happening as far as, like, what's the, what's the sequence of events supposed to be? Mm-hmm. But it was like, she's in this in this house going through all these rooms but she's it's kind of what her mind where her mind is going yeah like uh she can't the it's like the what's in her mind is okay i need to get high to get this off my mind yeah that's where she's trying to get and to. jimmy comes and right jimmy in there comes and in to stop her he comes in and, and then saves her from her rise and freddie come in to stop her yeah and then she goes out to sing this to sing strange fruit so mm-hmm. uh it took me a second to to kind of catch on what was what was happening there, but you know it's that's the when I wrote that the moment seeing that became real, the song became real for her again mm-hmm. because for the most part I, for a good chunk of the film up to this point, after she got out of jail, we weren't talking about that song no no one was talking about the song anymore, but to see the lynching again, okay. I got to go back to doing it. Well, like, she did a get a request. She got a couple of requests. Yeah, people wanted her to sing, yeah. but she avoided because she was trying to stay she, out of jail. Yeah, mm-hmm. stay out of jail, basically. Which was, I thought was interesting because they had white characters ask her to sing it. <laughs> right. Like, and I was, wrote, it's like they're the yelling it out like Freebird. <laughs> like, people yell out, Freebird. Like, I was like, like, sing Strange Fruit. And I'm like, are y'all trying to get her locked up again? <laughs> She's not going to sing that. She says, no, I'm not going to sing that song. I ain't trying to go back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they will arrest me, y'all. <laughs> this uh, this part, and you and you you alluded to it earlier. So after Jimmy talks to the FBI agent, um, uh, we'll talk to Anslinger on the phone outside of the motel mm-hmm. with the other agent 30 feet away. <laughs> he goes to the motel. Uh, Could have touched him. <laughs> So him and Billy have sex, and and he's like, not like this. Yeah, turns her around. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> no, just, like that. That's what she wants. <laughs> was made like, okay, you know how, uh, and I don't know if I'm going to have this every episode, but this, this, I know I said this with you that served that stethoscope means doctor. <laughs> and with breaking, tuxedos mean respect. <laughs> <laughs> the note I wrote this time was missionary means love. Love, Because <laughs> she just goes over and like bends over like, all right, let's get this over with. Let's do this. <laughs> and he was like, no, this feels impersonal. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, remember, everyone. <laughs> missionary means love. If you don't do it that, that way, you that will not be her. the title of this episode. <laughs> you don't love, yeah, that'd be an NC-17. <laughs> but yeah, remember that, everyone. Um, 
So, uh, she, um, so when the, the rest of the band and the crew are, are playing baseball, I guess, uh, on the side of the road. Um, I didn't even realize they were broken down. I thought they were just, like, yeah, I thought they were just, yeah, I thought they were just hanging, just hanging out. Yeah. Um, but she comes out with suitcases and here comes Lewis McKay, uh, to take her to, to fly off wherever and leaves the rest of the band behind. Drove all night. <laughs> he drove all night. How fast was he driving? He was he was a simp. <laughs> um, and I just wrote, did this being that afraid of love make you do messed up things? Like she abandoned and they except were for not Ross happy. and Freddie. Yeah. But she abandoned everyone else. And they had no money to get home. Yeah, I hate Chris. He was mad. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hate Chris. Everybody hates Chris. But yeah, that was, yeah, that was very messed up. I, um, I, yeah, I, I didn't like that scene. I didn't like that. Um, so it's so that's why uh, I like does being that afraid of love make you do messed up things like that? Uh, and that's that's what it was. Yeah, that's why she called Lewis because she was that scared of a healthy relationship. It was so abnormal to her mm -hmm. that, um, and I think part of it also is she didn't want to feel like she was being saved. Mm. Okay. She didn't want to look at Jimmy as this savior. And according to, there's a story I read that Jimmy was in love with Billy. And if there was some kind of, playing some short-lived relationship she didn't love him mm. but we seen throughout <laughs> the movie why he never had a chance no, no. <laughs> it was wasn't too, gonna happen she messed up for it she yeah. was too messed up and you already met you already you already messed up with her once by <laughs> came and arrested her by arresting her yeah by you know acting like a, a newspaper writer and you're actually the feds yeah. <laughs> and you're still the feds <laughs> and, and, you and you're still the, the feds yeah. <laughs> so uh, he, he never had a chance really it's too um, close to the case <laughs> so uh, and also in that moment because if she went and married Lewis yeah that didn't make any sense um, and with their their relationship, she chose violence. That's a that's something the kids are saying today. <laughs> to you, like, I woke up and chose violence today. So she chose violence. Gen Z, <laughs> what are you? What? Okay, Gen Z. Um, and then the next thing I had was, uh, I I don't think I've seen this before. I guess not since Anchorman, but a sad scene where someone drinks milk. Where where she's on the TV show and Jimmy's mm -hmm. watching, yeah, he had a, he had a <laughs> bottle of milk. Yes, okay, you had to think about that for a second. Um, uh, do you have any notes up to this point? Um, towards the end, I just kind of started getting a little frustrated. Um, I because I start that's when I kind of started writing like there's just inconsistent tones, the just behave line, you know, yeah. Just, but why I, did you I, want to sing that song? I wrote it again in all caps. Reginald doesn't get it and yeah. never will. <laughs> yeah. Um, then I did write the, you know, 
see so much of her at Amy Winehouse and then the interesting character arc. And that's, you know, and I feel like I keep going back to this, but Jimmy's character arc was just so unbelievable. And this was around the time when you just like, I believe at this point, she's essentially lying in the hospital dying. You know, she's, she's not well. She looks awful. You know, she's pale. Um, hair's not done and everything. And, um, Anslinger comes in there because they're like, he's going to plant the heroin on her. I was waiting for it to see it happen. And, and I wonder if there's a transcript of this because that line, your grandkids will be singing Strange Fruit. Very strong line because it's true. <laughs> people are still, to this day, people are still singing Strange Fruit. So she understood that that was, that that song was bigger than her. Oh, I had that scene. I want to play a little bit of that scene. Can you kind of... Okay. Yeah, she's a. You can suck my like it was. Suck my black it was a very. It was a very strong scene, and I felt like, even though the movie was not about the song, the song was just there. Um, I think it kind of showed, and I don't know if she really said this or not, but I think it really did show at that point that she understood that the song was bigger than just her. You know, it wasn't one of those things where she's like, I'm, you know, I made this song. Like, no, the song is bigger than me. People will be singing this song for generations. My wife is a big fan. God, who says she understands that? understands what you need. Billy and me discuss things. She hasn't been well, but she's sorry for the trouble she's caused. So they brought in Lewis on this, on this scam. For the record. I'm going to need you to state your name. And she didn't say her name? No. My name is Billy Holiday. Go on, lady. Go ahead and speak your piece. <laughs> You're a victim of drugs. We know that. The manipulation, man. I blame nobody but myself. Go ahead and tell him what you need to tell him, baby. I'm trying to stay out of jail. <laughs> Miss Holiday, you want to clear your name, right? Get us off your case and you'll never see us again. Smoking in the hospital. You think I would stop singing that song? <laughs> She's already dying. It's just funny, like the how the times have changed. <laughs> Can't do that now. Your grandkids will be saying strange fruit. Yeah, motherfuckers. Think I got something on me. You don't. You stupid bitches don't got shit. <laughs> well, they didn't. I love it. They're trying to get it by playing drugs. Several times. Yeah. <laughs> Suck my black ass. <laughs> I want to hear the transcript. If, the, if it's out there, I'd yeah. like to hear it. <laughs> it just starts cackling. I just love it. 
So yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just that. I love that scene. I really. And it, what I what I saw with that is you know a lot of people know that she died and and it was a tragic story, mm. but I think there had to be some form of triumph for the film. Yeah. Is this the context in which she said, suck my black ass? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, there had to be some kind of triumph because they didn't have anything on her, even though she was still arrested in death. <clears throat> yeah. Chain- she was handcuffed to the bed handcuffed and to her the ankle. Bed as she died. Yeah. Took her methadone away to kill her. So... Because y'all afraid of a song. Y'all so afraid of black people. Yeah. You know, the the uh strange fruit makes you uncomfortable when people talk about it because you think that racism doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh, unless you're Harry Enslinger, in which I just hate black people and addicts. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're both I'm going to get you somehow. I'm going to get you, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you, Betty. Oh, God. Um, yeah, it oh, was, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting to say the least, just to see it in action. I mean, no, granted, it's a movie, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, you could almost say the government killed her. If you just want to, you know, they cut off her methadone, they knew it would, you know. Well, they, they harassed her, um, all the way to the end. Yeah. Um, and they, even though they had no evidence, they, they, well, they planted, they planted heroin on her. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, she going to do heroin now in, in the hospital. And she got cirrhosis. <laughs> she trying to survive. She going to do heroin now. What kind of sense does that make? Uh, I will say though that just that smoking in the hospital is just funny to me. Like it's just to see how much things have changed. <laughs> like they were smoking literally everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> everywhere. Because it was it was seen as a it was a cool thing. Yeah. It was a cool thing, but it was also a lot of people it, I think cigarettes were advertised as if it were like there were benefits. Yeah, doctors were advertising them. Like, yeah, I smoke these. (laughs) It's it's really messed up. Just, I mean, that's, I guess, in Uh, another way. You should smoke these. Like, almost in a roundabout way, like, going back, like, aside from just the racism, you see some of the things that were being done back then. You know, you know, aside from, like, okay, you're, and I almost forgot, you know, segregation existed until she can't get on the elevator. Um, You also realize that, People smoked everywhere because we thought that cigarettes weren't that bad. And you kind of realize that women didn't have a lot of rights. No. They didn't really have a lot of rights. Um, yeah, that none of none of that would fly today. You can't just beat some woman um because you think she took your money or something. Like no and so it's as uh as they say, a different time, different time. Um, but it's still a still a powerful message through some of the things that weren't even like, you know, things that weren't even dialogue, just actions, just seeing, you know, seeing things. The fact that he, I mean, he was not going to let her on that elevator. No, because he would have lost his job. That was a very strong scene. Because he, 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 he 
He knows who she is. Mm -hmm. He's looking at two of the most famous women in the world at the time. Mm -hmm. But he's still got to do his job. Yep. She tries to bum rush him and he pushes her back. Like that's, that's how strong it was. And I, and I, I find that interesting because I think that might be maybe the most interesting depiction of segregation I've ever seen. Because normally in movies, segregation is like, you can't sit here. You know, it's like that. It's like, yeah, this ain't for you. But you have a scene where you have a black person who's like, the only Negro allowed on this elevator is me. She tries to run and he pushes her back. That was that was probably one of the more. And once again, I'm glad that it was because I don't think some of these things happen if this was a white director. Yeah, I just don't think. And I don't think it's not because, the you know, the white director probably thinks these things aren't true. Like you said, they'd probably be afraid to do it. Yeah. Or or there would be. Or it'd be there, mishandled. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it'd be mishandled like the that maybe the white director couldn't effectively communicate why we're yeah. doing the scene this way. Yeah. Uh, but a Lee Daniels or any other black director <clears throat> could. Who I thought was British. I don't know why. There's there's some director out there that I that is a black director that's British. Um, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Yes. Okay. What did he recently direct? Because I I was mixing he them. He did. Up. He did Twelve Years a Slave. Yes. Okay. That's who I I recently heard him on Black on the Air with Layer Wilmore, and I was like, Steve McQueen's black. Oh snap! I mean, not black, but British. Oh snap! And I was like, for some reason in my head. They are this. They just became the same person. I thought he directed this movie. And he was British, but no, Lee Daniels is not British. It's from Philly. <laughs> Philly, uh, where he from? <laughs> um. So, how yeah. did you know who? That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> you said British. Oh, black British director. That's the only ain't one that, I know. Ain't that many? <laughs> <laughs> but like Barry Jenkins, I think he's from Florida. So it's gotta be <laughs> Stephen Queen. <laughs> um. So, um, let's see, did I have any other notes? Oh, well, back to the, um, the, the anti-lynching bill. It's yeah. being considered. Yeah. What is there to consider? You know, that, that's all I had to say about that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But yeah, it's just like, what is, yeah. So, um, did you have any other notes? Hmm. No, because um, my last note was, uh, you know, your grandkids. Other than the, um, so I know I've talked about how the tone is inconsistent and how it kind of feels disjointed. It was a beautifully shot movie. Yes. Um, my favorite scene being when she's calling up her friend for heroin to get drugs. She's like, I just need a taste. I just need a taste. Oh, and then she walks across Times Square. Yes. And it. In the rain. It's a beautiful depiction of what I only imagined Times Square looked like back then. Cause I don't know. But like it looked beautiful like all the lights and she's a perfect silhouette against those lights as she's crossing the street and the concert scenes were shot beautifully the club scenes were shot really well um and then just even when it started and she's sitting down in reginald's office and they're about to start the interview even that looked well like the colors they were they were vibrant, but still subdued, if that makes sense. Like, they yeah. popped, but it wasn't overbearing. Right. 
so it made you kind of feel like, all right, this is an older movie. You're used to seeing a lot of these sorts of things in black and white. However, it's bringing it to life. And it was, you know, I, I thought outside of everything else that was done in the movie, if there's one thing that I cannot take away from is is beautiful, a beautifully shot movie with some great performances. Um, so from what I've seen here with some of the reviews, a lot of people thought Andre Day was amazing. Oh, she's electric. She's great. <laughs> uh, but Lee Daniels was all over the place, <laughs> like you were saying. Um, so it's like she she was great in a otherwise. Uh, well, this this review says an otherwise forgettable muddled film. Well, I wonder what they could have done with like an extra forty minutes. Like the movie's two hours and ten minutes, but you're telling there's a lot of there's a lot of meat. Yeah. And I just wonder if that's a movie where you just like either we gotta cut something so that we can spend more time or, or yeah, or, or and make to focus it focus on something else. Because like with the title, you think it's about the song. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. Cause it's, I would have about... liked more info on Harry Anslinger. Like who is he and why is he so obsessed with her? Like, yeah, to get more background. Because yeah. basically he just he's just the villain. The yeah. villain. And the we don't basic... know why generic villain there's a few context clues that he failed with prohibition but outside of that you know nothing about him and he's literally in the whole movie trying to take her down and unless i did some of this research on him i would have never known why yeah (laughs) so i i think a little bit of that might have helped a little bit more maybe a little bit more about jimmy i understand that you're working with you're only working with so much and you're trying to cover 20 or so years yeah, this is a 20-year period. You're trying to cover a lot of ground here. So I, I get that, but like maybe that's just one of those things where like we need to add in to, you know, or, or and maybe the studio was like, no, maybe there's a lot of extra footage out there that did not make it into the movie that adds character development because that, that happens a lot. Do you, What studio made this? Do you know? Was it Warner Brothers? Because this was, um, <laughs> no, this was Hulu. Oh, so who? Okay. Oh, Paramount. Paramount. Okay. I don't know if Paramount does that, but. Studio movie studios and executives who don't care about story, they only care about runtime a lot of times and ratings. Yeah. You know, they probably had them cut some stuff. I'd be curious to see if there's a director's cut that addresses some of these issues um, because it did feel a little disjointed. But I do understand that you're covering it. So and this is probably why something like the Jackson's American Dream worked so well, because it was a miniseries. It was like what, yeah. three or four episodes. No, just uh... the two. But they're really long, really long episodes. How many? Yeah. Yeah. It was just two. But they were long, you know? Yeah. So maybe that's how you do something like this. I don't know. But then again, Walk the Line was really good. And they covered a lot of stuff. So. Well, I think I also know. part of it was, you know, you can say that uh, some criticism is the direction was unfocused, the screenplay was unfocused because it was it was all over the place. But you're trying to pack in a lot of a lot of information mm-hmm. um, and a lot of a story. Yeah. Um. So I think that it's kind of like the title doesn't fit what what the film actually was. Yeah. 
I thought it was gonna be. A, I thought it was about to be a court drama. I I thought I thought that's what it was. Too. Like when they I got to the case be. so quickly, I was like, "Oh, this is about to be a court drama. We about to see some testifying and some lawyering." And <laughs> how long was that case? Twelve seconds. Yeah, it was like she walked in, like, "Send me to the hospital." No, you're going to like Eddie Murphy. You're going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "You lied to me. You lied to me." Like it was. And then we never saw that manager or Monroe ever again. Yeah, I, I did write that to be like, fuck Monroe, man. Nobody seems to like this guy. I was like, who is this? But then I then and I started to understand. Sitting with them. And then I started to understand too. I was like, okay, all of her men nobody likes other than yeah. Jimmy. And they didn't really like him. There's reason to not like him. They didn't like him. They didn't well, they didn't trust him. I don't think they thought that he was bad to her. They're just like, we don't trust him. He's the feds. Yeah, exactly. We don't trust he's him. He's still the feds. But he was never, like, after the whole arrest, he was never bad to her. He was just manipulative, which I guess is kind of bad. But, like, I never had to worry about him being just a jerk. He's like, still the feds. Though. Monroe was a, a straight, just, I was like, get this guy out of here, man. Like, oh, God. He ain't, he ain't clicking. That was funny, too. I forgot to talk about that. The saxophone player. <laughs> that was funny. He's just sitting there, he ain't, he ain't clicking. He ain't clicking. He just, hey, my man. Thanks. He's like, he's way. Sorry, miss. <laughs> apologize. It's like, that's them's the breaks. Like, and I was like, oh, man, little did you guys know, man, that was John Coltrane. Like, <laughs> or something like that. That'd just be wild. But, yeah, that was that was funny. Like, I, I do wish, so I do like the performances. But I do wish, like, the scene where they're, because I like the creative process where they're in her apartment. And, you know, she's got the piano player. She's got Lester, the saxophone player in there. And she's talking about how they're going to do the show. Like, oh, we're going to do this and this. I would like more scenes like that. Like, maybe yeah, more scenes kinda, with her band. The, the process. Yeah. Of, well, one thing that might have helped is not only, like, the process of putting together a show or working on a new song or whatever, mm -hmm. but also how did she come to start singing Strange Fruit? Yeah. A lot, lot of I background think that, is missing, yeah. That might have, uh, I mean, because you don't want to, I mean, I don't, I know you probably don't want to spoon feed the audience, mm -hmm. but I think you got to set that up. Well, I mean, there's, it's, a if you're trying to make it about the song, mm -hmm. which like I said, it's not, mm -hmm. if, but if you want to make it about the song and what it means and how it came to be her song, I think that can be, that can, that should be part of the story. Yeah. Like, set that up. Like, it's based on the poem. And <clears throat> how did it become a song? How was it arranged? Mm -hmm. And what was that moment where it clicked for her and how it was meaningful? Mm -hmm. um, None of that's talked about. No. <laughs> we just it's see just like, the song. They're like, you can't sing that. Why? I like that song. You can't sing it. I'm striking it. Like, yeah. So, yeah. But there's a lot of, um, there's some good about it. But as far as this consistent film, like you said, there's some inconsistencies. There's a lot to pack in. Yeah. It's not as, it was a little more focused than Get On Up. Yeah, I can give you that. Get on, Even I, though I, Chadwick was great. Yeah. The screenplay let him down. <laughs> I'm, I'm still convinced there's a director's cut out there that's a little bit better. 
because I think there's certain things if you if you switch around the order, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Because it it that movie was all it was jumping from like this year, twenty years in the future. All right, let's go ten years back. Let's go twenty more years. <laughs> like it's and I mean I understand you know if you want to be Quentin Tarantino and tell the story backwards, but like that movie was just. So I'm convinced there's a director's cut out there where he's like, no, nah, bro, really, we just we went in order. They just thought this was cooler. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, there there's more focused. Um, uh, again, the framing device was the him with the shotgun in Augusta. Yeah, and then losing his mind and and oh, going yeah. on the chase and yeah. Um, I guess I don't know as much about movies as because I, I never I did not know that's what that was called a framing device. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I always used like through line, but that that might be more for books. But whatever. So then y'all, the y'all interview in, in in the Usual Suspects is the framing. Oh, yes. Look, look at that. I'm learning. learning. I'm learning. learning. I'm about to start using that word. <laughs> it's the frame. No, it's the framing device, baby. Just gotta stay. You don't know. It's movie talk, baby. You know? <laughs> it's movie talk. <laughs> uh, so. Um, uh, we are past the two-hour mark. Well, this is a very interesting movie. <laughs> so we'll get to my earworm of the week. Um, no, it is not leave the door open. Let's leave the door open. The oh, the okay, yeah. I was like, what? Okay, what did you think of that? It was our, It was like all of the the ballads, uh, the the seventies ballads from the R and B groups, the mm-hmm. Dramatics, the Delphonics, the Manhattans, mm-hmm. the Spinners, the Isley Brothers. I'm I know they were listening to all of that, <laughs> right? Put it to write that song, and then Bootsy Collins is going to be like the narrator of the album. So, uh, for people who like funk and R and B ballads from the seventies, I need to I go back like and song. listen because I. I Listen to the first single briefly because I just it's been a crazy week so far. But um, I got the I don't know if I I think I showed you that band Wolfpack from yeah. Michigan. Yeah, it feels like it's kind of like that where like they're musicians, but then they go out and get singers and they find these funk legends. They did a song with Bernard Purdy. It sounded like they were kind of vibing on that, which I I love when it's done right. I love that type of stuff. So uh, I have to check it out. But this, my Earworm of the Week, is a different super group, <laughs> super duo. Uh, not Silk Sonic, but they're called Silk City. Okay. And it is Diplo and Mark Ronson. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, they did a song for Dua Lipa a couple of years ago. Was uh, it called, um, oh, God, Electric? Yes. I love that song. Oh, I love that song. This is a newer song um, think, okay. that they did with Ellie Golding on vocals. She's still around? <laughs> yes. Sweet. Okay, I'm excited uh, now. It's called New Love, and it sounds like just if Diplo and Mark Ronson made a song, nice. basically. So we're gonna play that, and uh, we'll be right back. Think I forgot to breathe? Did you forget my name? I wrote your symphonies.
Alright, that is New Love by Silk City featuring Ellie Golden. And uh, you can find that on our BTTYHT Earworms playlist on Spotify uh, shortly. This is <laughs> or by the that. time you hear it, it'll be on there. That's a great chord progression. Yeah, I, I I love, I I love it when you get a pop song that doesn't stay with that that progression that you just hear all over the radio nowadays. And I like Ellie Goulding, and I didn't know she was still, I because I'm looking at her, I hadn't heard anything since the album Delirium, mm-hmm. which had like You on My Mind and a whole bunch of really a really good stuff. That was a really good album, but I'm glad that she's. I see she came out with something in 2020. I'm gonna check out, but I I thought that that electricity song with they they, they would do a Lipa was just like a single that she did. I didn't know that was with them. That's a great song. They're they've, good. They've come out with a couple of... Uh, they haven't come out with an album, but they have like a few... Um, a few singles. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to pull it, because I think they did one with... Uh, um, okay, they, they did one with Daniel Merriweather. Uh, they did a song with someone named Mape. Uh, that name sounds familiar. And they did one with Gold Link and Designer. That was from 2018. They have a song with them. And yeah, so they've got like this is like five, six songs. Yeah, they're... I, I oh, really they did like a song them. with Robin. Wow, that's not in any area. <laughs> um, and then their most recent one uh, yeah, I feel well, bad. I, I, like I, 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 think I heard "New Love" like a couple weeks ago. Like I feel but, bad. Oh like well, no, it's people. a, no. it's um, what came out a few days ago is the original version and then a couple of remixes. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's dope. I feel like so, I can yeah. tell people that Robin still does music because <laughs> <laughs> they don't know she's a one-hit wonder here. Two hit wonder, I guess, kind of, because she had, you know. It, which were like 15 years apart. Yeah, so <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, that's funny, but yeah, I, that's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check out some, some, um, Silk City. I didn't know that was them. I, and I like the fact that they're producers that don't tread on the vocal. Like, there's a lot of DJs when they do songs, like, they'll let you sing the verse, but like, I want the chorus. The yeah. chorus is going to be a bass drop, and there's going to be like a synth lick that's going to serve as the hook. Whereas, like the songs they're doing, like yeah, you sing a hook. <laughs> that's what hook in there. Like we're just going to do, we're going to just write you a song, and you're going to sing it, and we're going to kind of like Timbaland style. We're just going to, you know, I'll say that you're, you're, I'm featuring you, but it's, it's your thing. So I like that they do that. I, probably why I didn't realize that it was a um, a DJ duo because that's just not how they behave typically. Yeah. Is he is D- Diplo's not in? Who's um, who is Major Laser? That's is that um, that's another DJ. I yeah, I can't think of because they're a, they're a group though, they're a duo, and I I thought Diplo oh, was in there. Um, Major Laser and Diplo. Uh, yes, Diplo and oh, Major Laser is a group. Uh, yeah, Diplo, Walshie Fire, and Ape, Ape Drums. Drums. Ape Drums. Oh, okay, I didn't know Ape Drums was in there. That's and that's Switch cool. used to be. Oh, well, that that's new to me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean they were like, a, yeah, because they, they kind of do that where they kind of take, I want to take the hook, but 
Yeah. I mean, they sort of gave, oh, what's her, the girl that did that song with them, the big one. They kind Major of let her have a hook. With Major Lazer? Yeah. The, oh, uh, kiss, fire gun. Lean on. Lean on, yeah. They kind of gave her a hook, but then they, they let their synth hook. So, but that is absent from, and maybe Mark Ross is like, nah, bro, we don't do that here. <laughs> we don't do that. Uh, who was that that sang on Lean On? I can't remember. Oh, um, Mo? Mo, okay. Yeah, I knew it was something to start with an M and simple. And that was a DJ Snake. DJ Snake and Mo okay. were on that song. But anyway, um, that will bring us to the end of this episode. Uh, Y'all know where to find us. It's at the bottom of the screen. Yeah. Look at the bottom of the screen. And follow us on the social media accounts at the top of the screen. Yeah, but not in real life. Don't follow me um, like to work or nothing. Yeah. Follow me on... in. That's called stalking. Yeah, on the gram. (laughs) Um, And uh, on the the Facebook and stuff like that, yeah. So we're going to end the program with, uh, and I want to play it in its entirety, Billy Holiday's version of Strange Fruit. So we're going to play that to end the show. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Peace. Peace. Southern trees bear strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging. In the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant south. The bulging eyes and the twisted mouth, scent of magnolia, sweet and fresh. Then the sudden smell of burning. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain together, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rock, for the trees. To here is a strange and bitter cry.